The Athletic. Chapman, welcome to the Business of Sport podcast on The Athletic. Alongside me as ever from The Athletic football news reporter, Matt Slater. And today we are going to focus on the possibility of a European Super League or the restructuring of the Champions League. We're going to talk to two executives from European leagues. Now, that's an organisation that works with the Premier League, the Bundesliga, La Liga and others to lobby against the more radical proposals for European club competition reform. Welcome to the Business of Sport from The Athletic. So to start, Matt, we're going to look at what I suppose you would call the ongoing power struggle between UEFA, Europe's richest clubs, the domestic leagues as well. To bring us up to speed with where we're at now, I think we should probably go back to 2019. As we know... Broadcast contracts, commercial contracts run for a few years of advance. The, the current setup in Europe of the way the Champions League is, is arranged and sold takes us up to the end of the 2023-24 season. So that's all sorted. It's all nailed down. Every three years, we kind of have an argument about how to distribute the money, but the actual formats are decided. The, the As I say, the big broadcast contracts, the big commercial contracts are settled. So... 24-25 has been there for a while as a potential fresh start. Now, things have kind of been pretty set since about the late, the mid-90s when we went from the old-fashioned European Cup, where it was, as you say, a straight knockout champions, to the Champions League, which is, of course, got, you know, we've all got used to this, where they're not all champions in there. You know, the top, you know, the big five leagues can get can get three, four, four or three teams in. And it's been that way for a while. 32 teams make the group stages of the Champions League. We used to have three competitions. We went to two competitions. We're heading back towards three competitions. But but pretty much the Champions League has been set since the mid-90s. Now, in 2019, early 2019, it became very, very clear that Europe's elite, who have become elite in this era, largely because of the rocket fuel of Champions League money, they got kind of lucky. We've always had big teams, we've always had small teams. That's that's nothing new. It's just that the big teams in the 90s have become super teams. Their advantage got compounded year after year after year by qualifying for European football. And that elevated them, created these crazy gaps that we've seen in European football that we see in domestic leagues too. Now, in 2019, as I say, various sort of pressures going on. Games got very global. The ownership structures and teams all around the world are changing. It looked like we were heading towards a row about how we divide the cake again. Who is really driving the football industry? Is it the super clubs? Is it the domestic leagues? And the idea that came around, and it really kind of, it was very radical. I think it was intended to be radical, was to change the Champions League into something that looks an awful lot like a European Super League, which has always been the bogeyman. If you don't give the big clubs what they want, they will take their ball away and they will form a closed NFL-style European Super League. Now, the plan, I don't want to go into too much detail on the plan, but it, it was to sort of divide Champions League, Europa League, and this new competition, the Europa Conference League, into kind of like sort of three competitions that all sit together. There'd be promotion relegation between them from season to season. And crucially, there'd be retained places. So the, the, the key thing that I think upset everybody was this idea that if you were in the Champions League one year, 
or 24 of you would stay there the following year. So you would break that gap, that crucial gap, that, so that, that, that link between domestic performance, i.e. how you do in your National League this season to qualify for next season. That link would be broken because you'd have these retained places. And there were extra games and they were going to change the they were going to change the sort of competition format. So it was more games because the big clubs want to play each other. Barca want to play Bayern. Liverpool want to play um, Real as many times as they can, not have to wait five, six years. And it was these retained places. Now that was shot down pretty quickly because it looked like a plan that was cooked up by the big clubs and UEFA to head off this European Super League idea. But the leagues, fans, even players went, whoa, whoa, that's too much. We don't like the retained places. We don't like that. That sounds like too much European football. So the whole thing was parked. Then COVID comes along and almost no one talks about it for a year. Now, inevitably, because of that, as I say, 23, 24, we know we have to sort of do this. And the European League stuff starts again. Real and Barca, we've talked about their debts. Various big clubs are thinking we need to do something about our balance sheets. We're the big dogs here. We drive the industry. The plans sort of come back, but it's come back in a different way. It's not as radical as that. The main things are this Swiss model, which we've been talking about. It's borrowed from chess uh, and, and various other sort of tournaments to do that, where you, you're in a league structure. So the Champions League will go from 32 to 36 teams, but you won't have to play all everybody. You'll just play. It's very scalable. You can play six games, eight games, 10 games, 12 games. The big clubs want to play 10 games. They want to go from six guaranteed group stage games to 10 group games. Uh, as I said, it goes from 32 to 36, so more teams are in it. And I think people kind of don't mind that. The sticking points, and we're going to hear from the European leagues who represent the domestic leagues, is that there are still, those four extra places are not going to be dished out, as, as the plan is right now, to national champions, they're you know, based on, as I said, on domestic performance. One of them will go to France to bring France up with the other four big leagues. So they've got four guaranteed places in the way that the Premier League and the Bundesliga and Serie A and La Liga do. But the other three will be dished out on some sort of historic performance basis, which sounds a bit, hold on a bit, you haven't deserved it. You didn't qualify. You're getting it because of your sort of historic performances. So it's a safety net for, dare I say, the Liverpool you know, the way they are looking right now, or Arsenal, or Spurs, the teams that have sort of come fifth, sixth, seventh. So that's where we're at. We had a big round in 2019. It went quiet for a bit. It's come back. And we are, I think, hurtling towards a decision. People don't mind the innovative Swiss model bit, but there are still some rounds to be had about the number of games because going from six to 10 is actually 100 extra games. And then there's, of course, a colossal row that we're probably going to have I don't know, in a couple of months' time about how you distribute the money. That's it. More European games, how you qualify for Europe, and then how you cut the cake. Okay, well, Matt mentioned European leagues. They're an organisation that works with uh, professional football leagues across Europe. And he also mentioned Jaco and Alberto. So Jaco Svart is the managing director. Uh, Alberto Colombo is the general secretary. To both of you, and Jaco, you, you go first. Any restructuring of European football and the threats that come with it from the big clubs are always in the end about them just getting more money. Is that it in a nutshell? 
You're absolutely right. If you want, if you want to bring it back to one line, it is about finding a format which will deliver more commercial revenues. First of all, I would like to say we do not dispute everything in European football. We do not dispute that there have always been differences between big clubs and smaller clubs on a European scale, but also on domestic scales in each individual competition. When we come to the comparison between what was proposed back in 2019 and what has been proposed now recently, I would say you could clearly see two major differences, which are in fact both to the benefit of the entire system, I would say. In 2019, the proposal was to create a close to closed competition uh, for the Champions League. And you explained that just before. That's one thing. And the proposal in 2019 was also that the competition would be still played in, let's say, the current format with traditional group stages and then a knockout stage, etc. Maybe with more teams, maybe not with more teams, etc. Now, if you compare this to the proposal which is at the table which lies at the table right now for the horizon 24 ucc reform plan by uefa the good things which changed compared to the proposals in 2019 is that all access to the competitions will come from the domestic competitions we do have an opinion from which leagues should be able to qualify for which competitions, eh, domestic champions and things like that. But that's a very major improvement compared to the proposals in 2019. And the other thing, which is really innovative, is the fact that they now change this format, that they come up with this Swiss model, which is really something new in football and which is, uh, I think, at least very interesting to see how this will work out. And I can understand uh, UEFA, that they have their, they have a lot of enthusiasm about this this proposal. Yes, but coming back to your question, Mark, if you bring down, why are they doing this? Because there is a need uh, and there is a pressure from the biggest clubs that they want to get more money out of uh, UEFA club competition, international competitions, not only the biggest clubs in the biggest leagues, but also quite some of the biggest clubs in, let's say, some of the medium-sized leagues. It's not only the request to get more revenues out of international competitions, it's also about the fact that those clubs are looking for more stability, more certainty to qualify for those competitions, as well as when they are in the competitions that they have more matches. And this is all fine, but this is also where we have some, let's say, twisting between our positions representing the domestic competitions and uh, the individual club positions or UEFA competitions because we see a growing negative influence on the competitive balances in domestic competitions because of the fact that those clubs who regularly participate in UEFA club competitions, that they make a lot of money, they play more matches, their player, they do have another level of exposure for, for transfers, etc. So it is piling up all kinds of factors, which is making those clubs even bigger than they're already used. Alberto, what would you like to add for your first statement? And then we'll drill into some of the points that have been made. The most important thing is to try to find a balance, you know, and to find and to have a proper equilibrium between the sustainable development of the Champions League. Try to listen also to the ambition of these big, big brands, big clubs, but on the other side, also try to grant what is, uh, you know, the, the bread and butter of football, you know, and the bread and butter of football 
for more than 1,000 clubs in Europe and there are millions of fans across Europe is domestic football, you know, so that uh, it is fundamental to try to create a model, especially especially now, you know, uh, consider that we are having this discussion during a COVID era, you know, and try to uh, guarantee and safeguard the long-term sustainability, both from a sporting, but also from an economic point of view for, for the base of football. And the base of football is spread all across the territories in Europe. You know, it's fundamental. Our aim is try to create, uh, let's say, an ecosystem that could uh, guarantee both the ambition of uh, those big clubs that wish to have more revenues and more matches in Europe, but on the other hand, granting a proper sustainable football for all uh, you know, the clubs and the respective players and the fans across Europe. And do you think, because this is the crux of it then, do you think creating that ecosystem is possible? Because as a fan and a broadcaster, you hear all the different points of view and you think, I don't understand how everybody how everybody can be brought together to create this ecosystem when there are such differing views. We believe it is possible. The Champions League has been a successful story and there's been always this balance. Calendar-wise, right, the leagues are playing during the weekends. Champions League is playing sometimes during midweek. The leagues are those that are delivering constantly their calendar, you know, through the years. And the fans love that, you know, it's a tradition. They go to the stadium with the friends, with the families. And the Champions League is the cherries on the cake. You know, now if you're lucky to be qualified, uh, then then you can enjoy your participation, whether you are, uh, of course, a player of a club or a manager or, 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 or whether you are simply a fan, you know, that, you know, and this seems to be something that uh, is uh, there on the calendar, not in a regular way, but just from time to time is, is what made the, the participation to European uh, uh, competition something unique and something great, you know, so that there is this equilibrium and leagues, uh, you know, and I'm pretty sure that you got also familiar with uh, a study that we we performed and we launched in, in past December that is called, uh, you know, the European, uh, uh, the, the financial landscape of European football, where you actually saw that football has been growing with uh, an incredible rate, you know, during the past, uh, let's say, uh, 20 years, especially during the, the past 10 years, you know, so that the business is growing, the passion of the fans across the world is growing, you know, so that this means that the industry has developed in a good way from a revenue point of view. But on the same time, we have also been experiencing, let's say, this tendency that season after season, this gap between a few big clubs and the rest was also growing and you know you can arrive on a point of fracture you know this is why this moment is so important you know in order to because you you, you might know that this decision that that UEFA and in general the football stakeholder I'm taking now could could let's say shape European football for at least the next decade let me maybe add to this Mark, uh, also when it when we speak about the decision making, it's a decision which is going to be made by UEFA. UEFA is the governing body of European football. They have to take care of the interest of all parties involved in European football. If we look at the leadership at UEFA, uh, the president of UEFA is coming from Slovenia, Mr. Zeferin, the general secretary, Theodoridis, who is coming from Greece. They're not both not coming from two of the, let's say, main powerhouses in football originally. I'm 100% convinced that those two gentlemen, those two leaders at UEFA, 
that they very well understand where we are aiming for. I also understand that they do not only have to deal with the interest of us, not only have to deal with the interest of Greece or Slovenia, they have to deal with all the interest, with their background. It would be very logical that they will do everything what is in their, within their capabilities to find this, this balance, uh, as you mentioned, uh, and which means that at a certain moment, they also must dare to say to the biggest clubs in Europe, until here, and this is where it stops. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. The main point is that point I was making in the intro, that Champions League money, the Champions League has been a phenomenal success. It really has. It's been one of European footballs. It's been one of professional sports success stories of the last 20 years. It has taken football around the world. It's created global stars out of our stars, out of Ronaldo and Messi. It has, it has, it has put them on the same pedestal as the very best NBA, NFL players, and, and perhaps even bigger if you look at their social media, media followings and what have you. So the Champions League has been, an un, no, no one can dispute that. And UEFA have done a fantastic job. And it has made, actually, UEFA the richest, if you like, organisation in global football. They're, they're richer than FIFA. And that's a, a, a source of considerable friction. What the report said is it proved something that I think deep down, particularly if you don't follow one of the big clubs in your country, you've suspected, is my league getting more or less competitive? Is it the same teams that aren't just sort of, you know, winning, coming third, second, third, fourth, fifth, winning the cup competition as well. Do I remember more variety of winners when I was a kid than I get now? And if you have that suspicion, you're right. It can actually be, it's, it's not even really a dispute. Particular, well, it's not every league. I was going to say particularly the big leagues. It's every league. And in fact, in some of the medium-sized leagues, it's even starker. Because that team, that one team, that gets into the Champions League has a 15, 20, 30 million euro advantage over the rest of the league. And it's not just one year, it's the following year. It's the year after. So if there's a good player on the second or third best team in that league, they just buy them. So you get these eight, nine, 10 in a rows that are happening, and not just in Scotland, but all over the place. That is one of the problems. So chaps, Jaco, Alberto, how do you fix that? What do you do about the distribution of money to help the competitive balance return? It is not only about uh, the UEFA club competitions who are distorting competitive balances. There are also many uh, topics in this landscape report which we should discuss internally within our, between our leagues, for instance, on the distribution models of the domestic revenues as well. Huh? But that's now we speak about the UEFA club competitions. But I want to express this because we do not only want to point fingers at others. Coming back to the, the, the influence and the importance of UEFA club competitions, the analysis shows that in average, all across Europe, 85% of the UEFA club competition revenues 
end up at the top three clubs in the competition. And this is definitely not only the case in the top leagues, it is more the case even in the smaller and the medium-sized leagues. We think that it should be it's very important to agree on three principles also when it comes about revenue distribution for the uh, UEFA club competitions post 24 the first one is that we think that in general a bigger share of the total revenues should go and should be distributed amongst all those clubs who do not participate but who do and we don't see it as solidarity it's in fact it's compensation it's compensation for the fact that we deliver the dates exclusive dates for the UEFA club competitions uh, and exclusivity in this world is very important because that b- delivers a lot of commercial value as well so it brings it drives the price i would say in a, in to higher levels for the, the media broadcasters to buy the rights for their domestic territories of these UEFA club competitions and Another thing is that we should not forget that the foundation, the heart of football comes from the domestic competitions. So the UEFA club competitions are a result of everything at the end, what's happening in all the domestic competitions all across the continent. Jaco, so is that compensation for every club in every European top division across the continent? So if you finish eighth in the Polish league and that you will get a, a slice of the continental Pie. That's the idea, and it is too okay. too detailed now to to explain how this is uh, how this is de- worked out in in, yeah. in uh, what it yeah. means for this number eight in in Poland. But in fact, this is the idea, and it is now already four percent, or already it is now four percent of the total revenues, which is used for this uh, purpose. And we really believe that it should be more. The second principle what we would like to agree on with UEFA and the stakeholders uh, related to financial distribution is that if it comes to the distribution amongst the three UEFA club competitions, and you are all aware that as from next cycle, there will be the introduction of the Conference League. So you have the Champions League, the Europa League, and the Conference League. And we think that the share which is used to distribute it to the participants within the Conference League and the Europa League should be more compared to what is used for the Champions League. So it means less money to Champions League, more to Europa League and Conference League. And finally, our principle would be, what we really would like to agree and to discuss is that the distribution within each of those three competitions should be more equal. Uh, So now we have systems, and this is also very detailed, of this coefficient pillar, for instance, which means that because of the fact that Madrid, Real Madrid, won the Champions League for about um, many, many times, uh, that they they get more money out of this pillar compared to uh, Red Star Belgrade if they would qualify for the Champions League. Just on the compensation then, does, and, and there's going to be no perfect system here, does that distort the football pyramid? In each in each country. So if if that compensation say goes to all uh, fourteen Premier League clubs who aren't in Europe, does that give them an even greater advantage than those in the Championship who are trying to get into the Premier League? Because you've given them even more funds through Europe. I mean, nothing's going to be perfect, is it, Yako? Nothing is perfect. You are absolutely right. And it's also it's a domestic um, a negotiation and 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 discussion and agreement which has to be found how the money which is meant for the non-participant is distributed. For instance, in Germany in the Bundesliga, this uh, sum of money is fully used to distribute it 
to distribute amongst the clubs who play in the second Bundesliga. So it is not ending up in the with the non-participants in Bundesliga, but it is distributed amongst the clubs in the second Bundesliga. In in England, you have the system of the League Cup, which is fully commercially adopted by the EFL. So I mean. It's not up to me, it's not up to us to say to the Premier League, you should do it like this, or to the Bundesliga, you should do it like this. But in general terms, it is money, which is meant for the non-participants, for the uh, uh, the non-participants of the UEFA club competitions. Alberto, explain to me this and and, and how, how you balance the differing views within your organisation and the different leagues in your proposals and your meetings. Because, for example... Let Bordeaux, uh, a mid-table in Liga at the moment. We've discussed that the French league will get an extra place on the basis that they're the only one of the big five not to have the same number of places. So for no other reason than they're a similar, you know, big Western league, we'll give them a, we'll give them an extra place. So Bordeaux might think, great, well, we might have a chance of finishing fourth in the next couple of years. We'll take that. How do you balance that with, say, then... Bodo Glimt in Norway, who have been unbelievable this season, won every single home game, have won the league by 19 points, and we'll go, well, hang on, on the basis of how we have rebuilt our club, how we have played, how we have dominated the Norwegian league, we ought to have a crack at the at the Champions League as well, or whatever the new format is. How, how do you balance those differing views from not the big clubs? within your organization all the discussion uh, also regarding this additional spot probably to national association number five uh, is coming from the decision that was taken during uh, um, summer 2016 right where the basically the top four national association got uh, four fixed places in the champions league you know uh, having like we have right now, you know, basically 50% of the clubs, 16 over 32, coming from the top national association. There was probably a feeling at the time, uh, let's say a bad feeling uh, from, uh, you know, let's say French football that they were, let's say, put a bit, you know, aside in this. Right now, if you consider that there is this expansion, right, that is the expansion for 32 to 36 clubs, uh, you know, of course, uh, you, you know, uh, French football probably had, uh, you know, their own uh, arguments in order to see a bit more of balance when compare, you know, uh, their their merits compared to the merits of the top four. But what is uh, an argument to discuss here is something absolutely important is the fact that there are four Esther spots, you know, and in our in our proposal, actually, let's say proposal of uh, adjustment when compared to the wafer original proposal is exactly what you were referring. You know, we want absolutely to give priority to, uh, you know, sporting merits as the only and sole criteria to assess the competition, you know, so that uh, Jaco a, a few moments ago was mentioning, you know, the, the coefficient uh, uh, taking in consideration historical sport results uh, as a criteria to distribute the money, you know, and, and something that is probably unfair, the same principle for us also apply to qualification. You know, we don't see that clubs should qualify thanks to what they have achieved, you know, in European club competition in the past. This is the reason why in our proposal, you know, in our, you know, the adjustment that we are proposing is that this free additional spot, you know, on top of the, the, the spot that... First, the spot is not going to France. The spot is going to National Association Number Five. Let's say that historically was France, but in the past was also occupied by by other countries. But uh, giving giving sport the merit, it means 
give access to additional champions coming from lower rank national association. And this is something that we, we defend in a very firm way because this will give it opportunity uh, um, uh, to, for instance, the champion of Scotland to qualify directly uh, to the, the Champions League without passing through playoff or qualification, or whether this is Austria, whether this is Czech Republic, the country that is there, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but having more clubs for more countries, the possibility to have their clubs to be qualified directly there. You know, so it's the principle of the sporting merit together with the principle of inclusivity that uh, that is very important for us. We haven't actually asked if this is too much of a good thing, if the actual number and type of European football we have right now is okay. And this is what comes back to me whenever I write about this. I get loads of responses from fans saying, What's wrong with the Champions League now? We quite like it. It's, it feels about right. And actually, that's often the message I get back from players, managers. I remember European leagues hosted a really good event in London, I think, in 2019, where Frank Lampard said pretty much that. What's wrong with the Champions League now? So this brings me to my, to my question, which I know the European leagues have been talking about. It's almost an assumption now that, that this is going to change because the big clubs want it. And we've for the last six months, we've seen their threat. We will, we will walk off and we will form our own league. Goodbye. And UEFA are terrified of that. So they're going to get something. In the same way they've got the bigger Champions League. In the same way they got a bigger slice of the pie in 2016. The big clubs kind of get what they want. They, 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 ask, they ask for the stars and they get the moon, right? And this is, this is the way we're going to go. Now, there's a row to be had, though, still, about how many extra games they want. So in 2019, they wanted, to, they wanted 14. Now they've come back with 10, 10 guaranteed group stage games, not group stage because they're in this Swiss model league, but 10 games. They've got six at the moment. I think Jaco and Alberto, what are you, what, eight? Is, it, is eight manageable? And before you answer, if, it, if they got 10 and there's a little playoff round in there as well, it's actually 100 extra games. That's 100 games that domestic leagues are thinking, great. Uh, that's 100 premium, potentially premium games that you're asking the same broadcasters that we ask for our domestic competition. So there's a finite amount of cash out there. That's a concern. And as Yako said with his compensation answer, you're not supposed to schedule games against European games. Champions League slots, no, League One, League Two, you don't get League One and League Two games you know, up against Champions League games. Well, actually you do sometimes because the, the calendar is insane. But ideally you don't. You don't get Premier League games. So that's what? When's that going to happen? Is that going to happen in January? So this bigger competition has implications for the finances of domestic leagues. So, Yako, what is the ideal number? We've got six, six group stage games. I think, I think the current Champions League is 125 games. This proposal on the table is 225. What's the ideal number here? The ideal number. I mean, the, first of all, we we were not the one who stepped to UEFA at a certain time and said, UEFA, we th really think it's time that you start to innovate and to change your, to reform your UEFA Champions League model uh, after 24. Um, so this has been really started by the big clubs. The ideal number is would be that the number of matches remains as it is. Whether that would be realistic, that is quite doubtful. Because you're right, it started at 14. And this is also where we started in, in arguing 
our position in defining our position also on the current proposal, to what proposal do we compare the current proposal? Do we compare it with the proposal which was presented back in 2019? Or do we pre comp prepare it, uh, compare it with the proposal, what is the current format? If we compare it with the previous proposal back in 2019, this one is better. If we prepare, compare it with the current format, if it comes to number of matches, not on the format of the competition, but if it comes, if we speak about the form, the number of matches, of course, every match which is added to the Champions League, especially, could go at the expense of the domestic competitions, the value of the domestic competitions, the value of the Premier League, the Eredivisie, the Austrian Bundesliga, and all competitions across Europe, because they get a serious, bigger competitor with the bigger football, biggest football brands in Europe, who is increasing the volume of matches and also the volume of interesting matches. So, and this is what you said in the beginning, um, this system is scalable. It's a flexible system. So it doesn't matter for the, let's say the fairness, the fair play idea of having, of organizing a proper competition, whether it is scheduled with six matches in the first phase or eight or 10. Uh, so therefore we, would like to see that the number of 10 matches is going to be reduced. I mean, and we want to be realistic. We want to be reasonable and also decent. And we, therefore, we have discussed internally, okay, we understand their, the need from the biggest clubs and UEFA to increase the number of matches, but let's then reduce the increase from 10 to 8, or let's only increase by two match days instead of uh, four match days. And let's not forget, also because of the fact that you add another four teams into the competition, that also means, that would even mean within the original number of, of the current number of six group stage matches, that you already add additional matches into the system as well. And let's not forget that this system foresees in an additional playoff knockout round between the group stage and the knockout phase, which also means an additional 16 matches. Altogether, our proposal would foresee not to add 100 matches, not to add four match days, but to add two match days and 64 matches into the system. And this is what we propose you mentioned the need to you understand the need to increase but that need to increase simply comes from placating the so-called european super clubs who want who want more money that's the only need to increase and uh, here's our here's our weekly comparison with north american sports which we which we do you know if you if you look at the nfl less is yes. more there are more days in the calendar yes. year without without the nfl no than there are with the NFL. If you look at what, and not just the NFL, look at the big the big bash, the domestic cricket in Australia over the last yes. couple of years has gone from being a really simple competition where they play each other once to this behemoth that goes on for ages, it feels like, where everybody plays each other twice and five of the eight then end up in the playoffs. So less can often be more in sport. When I say need, I don't mean, and you're absolutely right, it's not because if this would not happen, the big clubs could not survive. Um, but this is the serious, this is the, 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 the mm. demand, the request, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but this is, this is the road, the car which started, the train which uh, departed from the railway station 
and and we must make sure that it stops uh, at at the right moment. Huh? But but it already departed to call it that way. Also, I mean, what you said is very important. And we when we listen to the fans, they say yes. I mean, but we don't need more matches because we cannot afford to go to more matches as well. And we want to see also very interest. We want to keep to, that our domestic competitions remain competitive as well because. We do not only have fans of the biggest clubs in Europe. Most of the fans, their first club at least, which they support, is their, let's say, their region, the, the club from the, the, the city, the town, or the region where they live, eh, or where they are born, or whatever is the, 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 the binding between the individual fan and the club. And besides that, of course, many fans, I see that with my own children as well, besides having a club in the Dutch Eredivisie, they're also fan of a, or maybe even more, let's say, European powerhouses. Uh, but let's not forget that, forget about the fans, especially not all those fans who support the smaller and the medium-sized clubs in all leagues all across Europe, all across the world, in fact. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Alberto, you talked about sporting merit there. And that, from when I talk to people is and fans, is the biggest complaint about any uh, any kind of restructuring or people getting in, into competitions on what they've done historically rather than what they're doing currently. That's what bothers fans most, that, that it wouldn't be fair. When you sit around the table, when you have discussions, when you hear, you know, the, the European footballing powerhouses talk to each other and somebody says, oh, well, it ought to be based on sporting merit. Do they look at you as if you've got three heads? <laughs> look, they, they, of course, try to probably to bring the discussion uh, in, their, in their direction, right? You know, and, uh, uh, and once again, you know, nobody, nobody doubts that uh, the Champions League is, uh, uh, is uh, a huge success, you know, also to the great clubs and the great champions that are playing in these clubs, you know, so that, of course, they have some merits, you know, and, and UEFA knows and realizes this, right, you know, that in order to also increase, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the commercial value, you know, you need, you need to have this club play. I think that the value and the core principle, that is an important one, uh, you were comparing to, to American sports, you know, but, uh, you know, there is a, a basic difference between American sport and European sport. Uh, European sport is basic, is the, in this pyramid, you know, and uh, it's very much important what you said to link these to the fans, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, the, 
everything is done is done for the public. You need to deliver this dream to all the clubs and to all the fans that one day they could achieve sporting success, you know, and they can hopefully qualify to the Champions League, you know, and this is uh, an important, not to say fundamental element uh, of the European sporting values, you know, that we are building a pyramid and you might be playing in fourth division and maybe you have, uh, you know, five fantastic seasons in a row and you can uh, be up there playing in the Premier Division, you know. So if you, if you break... If you break this game, it is it's something very dangerous, you know, because uh, you could uh, all, in a, all in a sudden also destroy a bit what is the passion of the fans. And the passion of the fans is also what granted the success of our sport, you know. So I guess that this uh, is an enough argument uh, uh, to put on the table when we are discussing with these clubs. You know, let's uh, keep the dream alive for all the fans of all the clubs across Europe uh, uh, about, uh, you know, achieving something via their success on the pitch. Yako, well, one thing that, that does come up, as I say, from fans regularly is this idea of calling their bluff. Why? Can you give the reason why, from a, from a man who, who used to run a domestic league as well, why you really can't just let the elite clubs go form the European Super League? There's a paradox. From a league, individual league perspective, there's always a paradox about uh, how we look at the UEFA club competitions. Because being able to qualify, to have clubs being able to qualify for the UEFA club competitions is very much important for the attractiveness of the domestic competitions uh, um, because it is not only in many competitions it's not only about winning the championship winning the trophy and lifting the trophy at the end of the season but it is also very much about qualifying for either the group stage of the champions league or qualifying for even qualifying for the q1 qualifying round one of one of the smaller competitions because each club is fighting and is aiming to reach his own ambitions. This is on top of the ranking. It's similar to that at the bottom of the ranking. It is very important that you have a system of promotion relegation because where you can win something, you should also be able to lose something. So if you, uh, it's interesting, for instance, to have the, the matches which are really about relegating yes or no. The promotion relegation playoff matches, which are organized in many competitions, are most one of the most challenging and interesting matches also commercially to, to see. So, but the, coming back to the paradox. So on the one side, it's really important for many competitions that they have spots which are giving access to the UEFA club competitions in all its forms. On the other side, the paradox, and this is the paradox, we see the growing influence of UEFA club competitions on the domestic competitions, on the competitive balance in the domestic competitions, with the result that, and this is what we discussed in the beginning, that in more and more competitions, the decisions about who is winning the championships are made earlier in the season than we used to be, and that the different number of champions, domestic champions all across Europe, is going down, is decreasing. It, it, it decreased by, let's say, um, 15 to 20% over the last five years compared to the previous, the, the five years before that. So this is the paradox, because we want to be part of this system, but we do not want it to have a, a detrimental influence on the competitive balance on a domestic level. And this is why we think this is why we must find a proper balance. We do understand the position of the biggest clubs. We do understand the position of UEFA, but they hopefully 
also not only understand our positions, but also are going to act accordingly. Both of you to to finish, and Alberto, you maybe go first. Are you are you worried for the future of some domestic leagues, all domestic leagues, smaller clubs, given what we've been talking about? That's why this decision is very important, because this decision uh, is probably shaping uh, the next decade uh, of football. Yes, there is, a, there is this worrying trend that we stress during, the, during this call and is very well portrayed in this uh, uh, report that we deliver to the football community. Um, scared is not probably the proper word, but uh, you are also go, living COVID times and COVID times, uh, you know, big financial crisis. Like in every financial crisis, the small fishes are all, always the ones that suffer the most. But this is in every industry. You know, football is not different from other industries, you know, also because you, we, we also have to recall the fact that uh, um, all matches during COVID crisis now are played without fans, right? You know, but the smaller is a league, the smaller is a league, the smaller uh, is a club, the most uh, uh, these competition leave out of also, you know, the support they are having the, by their fans being in the stadium, you know, because the smaller is a competition and the less is the impact or the importance, for instance, of broadcasting or other commercial revenues. This is just to say that uh, the tendency that uh, has been portrayed during the last decade was, of course, that there is a growing gap. And the growing gap is putting medium and small clubs in difficult uh, financial and sporting sustainability. COVID is also creating uh, probably an additional uh, financial difficulties to the medium and small clubs. This is why this decision is very important, because uh, uh, we can probably try to stop this trend by, by granting this balance that we have been discussing during the past uh, half an hour. If I echo clutch at straws then and go... Well, actually, Atletico Madrid might win La Liga. Inter Milan might win Serie A. I've mentioned Bodo Glimt winning in Norway in, instead of Mulder. Sporting, I think, might win the, the, the Portuguese league. Not necessarily... I mean, they're still big clubs, the majority of them. It's not like a, a minnow has come from nowhere to win it. But at, at least slightly, it changes the dominance in two or three leagues for one season at least. Is that, am I clutching at a straw there? There are always many challenges in professional football. And when you work in this industry, especially if you work on the club level, you have uh, challenges every week uh, because even after a nice surprised win, you're not certain that you will win next match as well. Uh, and this counts for clubs at each level in each competition. And when you work for a league or when you work for an international organization like Alberto and myself are doing, we always have, we also have our uh, daily challenges. And the examples you are giving, I mean, this is also, of course, this is, this is proving that luckily we are still in the business of football. We are in the business of sport competitions and organizing sport competitions means that you have a certain kind of uh, uncertainty it cannot be not everything can be predicted that for sure Benfica or Porto will take the championship again and or that for sure and then whoever league and whoever club whatever club will take the championship again this is the beauty of sport and this is what we are aiming for and where we are fighting for to keep professional football unpredictable 
Because that is what sport and football is living for. Because if you go to a football match, if you watch a match on TV, and this is not only about if you know who has won the uh, Australian Open finals, uh, because uh, all of a sudden it it, it went, was in a news alert, you don't need to see Djokovic again. Uh, uh, but if you do not know the result, you might want to see him play tennis against his opponent, because maybe this time he will not win. Uh? Um, unfortunately, also, you see, they have challenges in other sports as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it has been absolutely fascinating to talk to you and uh, and get your views. And we've taken nearly an hour of your of your time. But mm. uh, um, both of us really appreciate you coming on. It's it's been great to talk to you and get your get your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Really Thanks, appreciate guys. it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. That's it. Fascinating uh, from Alberto and Yako. Thanks once again to them for joining us. Thanks to Matt. And I'm back on Tuesday with uh, David Ornstein. Bye for now. The Athletic.